How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 304 of x Labs, where I'm about uh, three or four cups of tea into the day here. Um, boy, not doing this for a little while and then coming back to do this uh, really did a number on my throat. I was not expecting that at all. Uh, but, you know, this recent break that I took was the longest break I've had from, you know, talking to myself in a room for, you know, an hour plus every day. So... I guess uh, my throat got a little bit weaker, so um, here we are, and I'm drinking tea, and I don't know about you guys, but if I drink tea first thing in the morning, it pits my stomach really bad, so um, I guess we will just hope for the best today as we uh, as we get through S.W.O.R.D. Volume 2, Number 11. This is the final issue of S.W.O.R.D. Um, this had a February 2022 cover date. The story is called Final Frontier, written by Al Ewing with art by Jacopo Camagni. Colors by Fernando Cifuentes of Proto Bunker Studios. Letters, VCs Ariana Marr. Designs, Tom Muller, head of X's Hickman. Edits, Amaro, Bisa white Sabolski. Cover price, $3.99 American. And this one went on sale December 22nd of 2021. Now we hop right in, and we open in Australia, where our man Manifold is waiting for something to happen. Now, if you recall last issue, Sword Station 1 was kind of blown out of orbit by WizKid. Well, uh, the entire damn station actually has to go somewhere, and it looks as though it's headed toward its fiery end, crashing into a potentially populated area of the Down Under. Eden is joined here by Baz, who was that fellow he chatted up during the uh, that pretty cool solo manifold story we got last year. It was either issue... I think it was issue three. Maybe it was issue four. Uh, now, as we know, Manifold has that nebulous power to talk to the universe or whatever, so he's... He's here hoping that he can finagle the crashing space station back into orbit via this hoodoo. But he's not alone in this effort. You see, Old Man Cable is currently on board the plummeting peak and is maxing out his TK in order to slow its fall enough so that Eden can actually work his mojo. And we get an aside about Cable here. And, you know, he's a pretty good dude and he's got a metal arm. Baz confuses Cable with the Winter Soldier, which I think is supposed to be humorous, but... It actually only serves to tee up a lame pouches gag. It's like, no, 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 he's not that guy with the arm. He's the guy with the pouches. We get it. You know, Cable's got pouches. You are so wickedly brilliant for repeatedly pointing that out to us, Al. Because, I mean, you know, 90s comics, am I right? Coming from the guy currently writing Venom. And, uh, oh, by the way, who's who's got that Carnage series added to their pull list? <clears throat> from here, double-page spread of roll call and cred. Our characters are Manifold, WizKid, Storm, Gladiator, Cannonball, Xandra, Deathbird, Frenzy, Cable, Gyrick, James Hudson, Orbis, Dolores, and Brand. We hop over to Alpha Flight, where Gyrick, Hudson, and WizKid look on. 
Now, they're kind of worried that the sword station won't be crashing safely into the Pacific as they thought it would originally, but looks to actually threaten to cause some massive damage and major casualties in Australia. Now, Hudson, I mean, he's a hero. He's beside himself here. He's like, wait a second. (laughs) What have I gotten myself tied up in here? He wants to take down Krakoa for sure. He wants to kind of... Well, we saw his reaction at the Hellfire Gala where he kind of got the idea that the mutants were going a little bit too far. He wants to maybe knock him down a peg, but he doesn't want anybody to die. Gyrick, well, he's less concerned, but he seems to be trying to play up the idea that he is. You know, he's like seeing this happen. He's like, oh, no, that sucks. But, you know, optics wise, it's still a win for him. Of course, he's trying to discredit Krakoa seemingly at any cost and... Sure, seeing the peak hit the Pacific would be one thing, but yeah, if you break a few eggs there, it's not the end of the world. Sure, it's less than ideal, and he would rather there not be any casualties, but, I mean, what can he do about that now? He then turns to Wizkid to pass the blame for this boner onto him. And Wizkid's like, hey, dude, I'm not God. I can't pinpoint exactly where tons and tons of space steel lands on Earth. He then gets into TP contact with Tiny Abigail to ask if they, in fact, just blew up Australia. Now remember, this mole gimmick, blowing up the peak included, was Abigail Brand's idea. Now she tells him not to worry because she's got her hand-picked team on it and everything is going to work out fine. Gyrick then checks in with Orbis Stellaris to check on the situation on Mars Arako. Now the whole plan here was to stage an assassination attempt on Xandra. With an emphasis on the word attempt, they're basically just distracting the mutants. They're not actually there to kill her. Which, well, Orbis seems not to care much about either way. Basically, if she dies, she dies, but they play along all the same. Now this takes us to Mars Arako, where our heroes and the Imperial Guard find themselves surrounded by dozens and dozens of Legion of Superheroes baddies. Now, since Gladiator is still dealing with his lowered self-esteem, he's basically useless in this fight. And so, it's left to Storm to do something awesome. Which, after about four pages of build-up, she does. You see, she uses her powers to futz with the atmospheric pressure, which causes the lethal legionnaire's heads to pop. Now, she claims that this doesn't kill them, but I mean, their heads just popped. So, I guess you be the judge. From here, it's an info page, and it's a memo from Orbis Stellaris, and we learn a few things here, such as the fact that Orbis was attempting to sell his Lethal Legion to the Shi'ar as a replacement for the Imperial Guard, which, I mean, the Lethal Legion, they're just a constant source of of manpower, right? They are disposable. So the Imperial Guard, they die, they die. Lethal Legionnaires, you just keep filing them in. We also learn here that Orbis is originally from Earth, He says, very few people know that I'm originally from Earth, which I guess I just repeated myself. Uh, He also didn't think too much of his deal with Henry Peter Gyrick, as in fact he already has a new silent partner in the soul system. And we might just find out more about that at the end of this very issue, or at least we'll be able to hypothesize on who that might be. Back to comics, and over the course of three pages, Cable and Manifold are able to redirect the falling peak back into orbit. Now, during this, Cable's T.O. virus arm becomes very, uh, Warlockian? He even starts talking like Warlock. He refers to himself as Self, which, I mean, that's a Warlock thing, isn't it? Then, over at Alpha Flight, Wizkid tells Gyrick how it really is. Uh, Basically, that uh, this entire thing was a setup. You see, everything has been recorded. 
And, uh, you know, Guy Rick is like, okay, what are you going to do with it? You know, Department H doesn't care. And WizKid's like, yeah, I know they don't care, so I'm actually going to send you up the flagpole by sending this all to the Shi'ar. Now, since this won't end well for Henry, he takes off running. Where he plans to go? Who knows? Uh, he does try to call into the Orcus Forge and uh, Commander Devo for an extraction. But, as is becoming more and more clear, uh, this is simply not Gyrick's day. He is stuck, Chuck, and he ain't going anywhere. Just then, on the other side of a window, Gyrick sees Abigail Brand. And here, my friends, comes a shoe drop. And an actual shoe drop here, which... We'll talk about this on the other side here, but um, it kind of makes this entire series make sense. And we'll talk more about that in a bit. Now, you see, Gyrick, he sees her and he's like, Hey, you know what? You suck because you're part of this Krakoa thing. He reams her. He's like, you you know, mutant superiority, yada, yada, yada. And he says, Krakoa needs to fall. To which Abigail, um, well, she agrees. You see, she has no problem with Gyrick or Orcus trying to take out Krakoa. She feels that this is something that needs to happen, and not only that, it needs to happen soon. The only problem she does have is the fact that Gyrick and the gang kind of suck at it. Now, we've seen that Brand has kind of stood opposed to the idea of mutant jingoism from the very start. You know, she told Magneto that she wants to think bigger. You know, as in, there's an entire universe that needs to be the priority, not some, relatively speaking, dinky mutant island on one planet. She talks here about how she was born on the planet Axus, A-X-U-S, and has been a spacer for her entire life. But... To the mutants, all she is is a power set. She says here that Brand isn't even her real name, and they just call her that because her hands heat up. In fact, nobody even knows her real name because they never cared to ask. She talks about mutant culture and kind of scoffs at it. You see, to her, a spacer, mutant is just another flavor of Earther, which is a very post-racial thing to say and makes a ton of sense for someone who's literally dealt with aliens of all shapes, sizes, and colors for her entire life. I really, really like this, and I, I think we could probably all learn something from it. So Brand has been using Krakoa, setting herself up to make the soul system a player on the multiversal stage. She says that this is bigger than Charles and Eric's little dreams. She laments how this might all affect the Beast, with whom she was briefly romantically linked. She says that uh, he's trying so hard to be the necessary monster, which is a pretty great line. She does say that Storm's pretty cool, but, well, Storm refuses to deviate from customs, which, well, that limits her usefulness. And so, Bran's just gonna have to get rid of a lot of them and start running things herself. She then reveals to Henry that uh, what she just did was that whole Bond villain thing. She gave away all her secrets right before killing the person she gave those secrets to. And so she jettisons Gyrick into space and makes it look like he did it himself. Gyrick dies. Which, hey, is this the first time he's died? Not that that matters in the slightest, because the next time Donnie Cates or Jed McKay or Jonathan Hickman needs a government baddie, he'll be back behind his desk and this will never be mentioned again. Info page. Now, this is a great info page. This is a letter from Abigail to Abigail. Hmm. It's mostly a recap, but its purpose here is really, really cool. You see, she wants to remember everything. So in case of a sudden resurrection, this note will fill in any potential memory gaps. 
really cool stuff here, and something I'm shocked we haven't seen more of during this era. She mentions here that uh, she wouldn't have had much of a problem had the peak actually crashed into a heavily populated area of Australia. So, uh, looks like we're going full-on baddie here. Or at the very least, uh, villainously aloof, right? And it works. It really does work. She claims here that Orcus are big fans of hers. And the illusion here is that she's been a mole for them all along. And that's it. That's where we end Sword here. We do get a hype page. Quote, a broken throne for a broken land. X-Men Red, April 2022. So the next evolution for Sword will be X-Men Red, as we, as we thought it might be. We just weren't totally sure on it. But it's coming, and we will be there for it. Next episode, we're hopping back into X-Men Unlimited on the uh, Marvel app, as well as I think our backup will be the Lives of Wolverine uh, series that they're doing here. I think that's a miniseries. I would assume it's a miniseries, but I think that will be our backup. I'll have to I'll have to see if it's a if it's like a substantial thing. It might just be its own episode, but uh, we'll see when we get there. We'll see when we get there. For now, let's talk about. This issue of Sword, which was a fantastic issue I really, really enjoyed it Uh, Not quite the, you know, boy, I gotta go back and reread this entire thing To see how obvious it was that Abby's a baddie reaction This isn't like discovering that Magneto was Zorn But a damn fine resolution to the series It actually makes sense to draw a line under the Sword concept here Because the story's been told All the pieces were moved into place And, well, in the words of this very book We can move on to quote, what happens next, or what comes next, however they said it. I probably shouldn't have said the word quote when I didn't know the actual quote. Now, one thing that this issue does do is it kind of lampshades our, or my, biggest complaint about this series from the very get-go. Now, I've often complained or observed that the sword book never actually felt like a sword book. Like, how it kept getting swept up in crossovers and events, and the fun team that we have here never really got a chance to establish itself. Well, now we kind of know that that was the point. This wasn't a sword book. This was an Abigail Brand book. Now, if we look at all the crossover issues, they, they were there to show us what Brand was up to. Sure, the team got some moments to shine, Which, if we look back on those moments, I feel like that was to kind of force us all to take our eyes off the ball here. Because this was, at its core, Abby's book. Now with that in mind, let's take a look at some of her speech to Gyrick. In particular, how the mutants only define her, and I guess themselves by extension, by powers, right? Their identifiability and usefulness to the mutant cause. Now, we never saw a sword being formed, right? All we saw was, after the station came back online during X of Tens, we suddenly had this new team. Abigail Brand was put in charge of this entire undertaking, and, I mean, for us readers, it made perfect sense, since she was, you know, the star of the old sword series, right? Now, she was put in charge of this entire thing by folks who don't even know her name and only care that she's a mutant. Now, it's as though the Quiet Council, uh, Xavier and Magneto especially, figured that, hey, she's a mutie, right? She'll obviously do our bidding in space. And they didn't even think to pry any deeper than that. In the wake of X of Tens and the arrival of Araco on Earth, we've talked a little bit about Krakoan naivete, 
right? Uh, Iscathy Unbeaten basically mocks Charles and Eric for being so naive to what it takes to run a nation. I think she calls it like a, like a, a child's nation or a child's government or something like that. This is surely another sign of their lack of understanding in that regard. I mean, to matters of uh, government and nationalism, they're dumb, naive, and also so narcissistic that they believe all mutants will just fall in line to serve their purpose. And, well, uh, I mean, Abby ain't gonna play that way. (laughs) You know, uh, we can look at another issue of this series where Dr. Doom told Storm that, you know, mutants just... They don't know what they they don't they don't they can't fully appreciate the breadth and scope of their mission here. You know they're not equipped to carry quite as much weight as they're trying to shoulder. You know he told her that during that dinner scene, and Storm, if you recall, became very angry at this suggestion and zapped the dinner table or something with lightning. So we can see that Storm has kind of bought in on the supremacy angle, or at least just hasn't thought enough to question it. Now, back to Abigail and this issue, we could probably assume here that uh, Orbis Stellaris' new ally in the Soul System is probably Brand, right? I don't know that this book has sold me on, you know, giving a rip who Orbis Stellaris actually is, but, I mean, I gotta admit, we did get some moderately interesting wrinkles on that info page uh, to potentially be fleshed out next, and I hate calling it a season, but uh, I guess it is next season. So retroactively speaking here, I feel like this series really, really worked. But it wasn't perfect. You know, where this book has failed, for me at least, and I'm not even sure it's fair to hold this against this title, but S.W.O.R.D. is the space book, right? And it's uh, where we've been seeing most of uh, Storm and the Arakoans. I feel like, given that's the case here, maybe Arako could have been... I don't know the right word that I'm looking for here, but I feel like... I feel like we should probably care about Arako. And while I would never, you know, speak for all of us, I don't care about it. I, I gotta say, I don't care about Arako. And again, that's probably unfair to unload this at Sword's door, seeing as though I'm pretty sure nobody in the X-Office has the foggiest idea what the endgame for Arako is just yet. But it feels like we could have become a little bit more invested in it here. But again, that's probably not fair to lay on this book and this book alone. Uh, added to that, I mean, we've talked about the deck chair rearranging that's been going on ever since the Hellfire Gala, where, I mean, I don't think anybody knows what's going on, so everybody's just doing their best. As we said, I believe, in the X-Force episode uh, recently, it's, it's as though all these other books are pulling over to the side, like, a, like there's an ambulance coming behind them, and that ambulance is Inferno. So they have to... Uh, they kind of just got to bide their time until uh, Hickman's grand plan has been revealed and, uh, I guess, spent. And then we can start taking some of these ideas and uh, hopefully rolling with them. But I think that's about all I have to say about this issue. I would love to hear your guys' thoughts on this issue, on this series, on this reveal, on uh, what it means retroactively for the Sword series. Uh, I would love to hear from you. So please, I encourage you to reach out. You can find me several different ways. You can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics. Find me on Instagram at 90sXmen. You can send an email to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. Or you can go all into the X-Labs voicemail hotline at 623-396-JERK. For blog posts and show notes, you can head over to chrisoninfiniteearths.com. You can go to Facebook and join the conversation there, 90sXmen. Of course, the audio archives are available at every podcast application aggregation applications. <laughs> Just search for the show, search for the channel. 
you should find us pretty easy. And hey, I don't usually ask this. I have on occasion, but I try not to make a habit of it. Uh, We're at a point right now where I would need like a really, really big influx of listeners to say that our numbers are just in the toilet. (laughs) So uh, if anybody listening actually cares about this program, I would love for you to maybe spread the word, tell a friend or two, maybe get my uh, mumbling words into uh, a few more ears. I would really, really appreciate it. It would really mean a lot to me. Uh, Finally, there is the Patreon if you want to throw a little bit of support behind the show and get some exclusive content and some behind-the-scenes hoodoo. That is uh, patreon.com slash xlapsed. But I think that's going to do it for me for today. Uh, There is some build-up in the uh, mailbag, which we will be getting to in the next couple of episodes. Hopefully my... uh Hopefully my throat becomes a little bit more accustomed to talking to myself again. Uh, it's, uh, I guess just taking a little bit of time off really uh, really set me back and made me a little bit ill-prepared for uh, exercising my instrument quite so much. So we will uh, get to the mailbag real, real soon. And I do apologize for sitting on all those wonderful letters for, uh, for a few extra days, but we will. We will get to them. But... Like I said, I think that's going to do it for me today. I'd like to thank you all so much for choosing to spend a little bit of your day with me. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.